Hello and welcome to Not Another Business Podcast, where we break down business news and cultural events according to rules we've entirely made up. I'm KJ Miller, ex-corporate consultant and current CEO and co-founder of Minted Cosmetics. And I'm Daniela Dektar-McCarthy, ex-corporate lawyer and current general counsel at Ness. And fun fact, KJ and I have been friends since our Harvard acapella days because we are that cool, folks. Disclaimer before we start the show, the views we express today are our own and not those of our companies. Today on the show, we are talking all things Peloton. Mm-hmm. And as you might remember, Daniela, you mom influenced me to purchase a Peloton. I I'm an influencer. You you are. I am. You absolutely are because I don't. I also don't know if you recall, but I was very much a I don't like spinning person. I was like mm-hmm. I don't like Soul Cycle. I don't like the bike. I don't get it. And then the pandemic came, and you told me you and Tom purchased a Peloton, and I immediately turned to Kadar, and I was like. I think we have to get a Peloton. <laughs> I, don't like I actually feel like I put in more work than that. You may, to influence oh, yeah, you. Yeah, actually, yeah. Okay, what, what work did you put in? I made many compelling arguments, including <laughs> including explaining that it it's not you don't have to be a lover of spin classes, that the experience on the Peloton in your home is very different. And we will we can get into that on the mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I would like everyone to take notice that I'm a phenomenal influencer and start paying me for it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you are, because I truly went from, I don't like spinning, to, Kadar, we we have to get this bike. I think, like, yes, you are a phenomenal influencer, but also, it must be said, I have deep FOMO when it comes to... um, That's true. You're easily influenced. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm really great at influencing people who are very impressionable. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, I just don't like feeling like I'm being left out of something that my close friends are doing. Like, I'm not easily influenced by randos, but if my close friends are doing something and then I'm not doing it, I do feel deeply left out and a little insecure so I was like oh okay well we have we have to get one mind you at this time I was very pregnant well actually when I ordered it right and I, and when it came I was even more pregnant and uh, I still hopped my big pregnant belly up on that bike because I was like oh we done paid for it now so anyway that's well, what I'm we're excited talking about. to talk about it yeah it's it's because the question it was a moment it right? It was a moment in time when you got that Peloton and everyone else in the world was also getting their Peloton. And the question is now, are we still? Are we still on those Pelotons? Right. Is everyone else still getting them? Mm, I don't know. So what does Peloton do now? The exactly. big question. That is the big question. And I'm excited to get into it right after our shameless plug. All right, Daniela, what are you plugging today? I am plugging the Nest Card. It is the first premium health and wellness credit card. It rewards you for your healthy spending. Today in particular, I am plugging a limited time offer wherein if you want to message me, you can DM me. I can give you a unique referral code that will get you 5,000 points immediately upon signing up and making your first transaction, and it will get me... 10,000 points for doing it, <laughs> whereas I would normally also only get 5,000 points. So a little bit of a donation request. Come on, go sign up for the Nest Card because I get more points now if you do it before June, if you sign up before June. So go get the Nest Card and get my referral link before doing it. How about you, KJ? As always, I am plugging Minted Cosmetics 
Minted is short for pigmented. We create everyday beauty for every hue. And I'm excited to announce we've got some things back in stock. Uh, our top selling concealer shade, CEO. Yes, it was named for me. It is our top selling shade and it is back. So you've been going to the site for the last month and a half trying to get it and you can't get it. You can get it now. Okay, but I can't promise you'll be able to get it for long. All right. I don't have control <laughs> over that. So I would go right now to pick up our full-time brightening concealer in your perfect shade. We've also got our pillow puff sponge back in stock. It is the best sponge on the market, okay? And and I can say that, okay? That's facts. Um, it's sold out in two months, all right? But it's back too. So you can get your sponge to go with your concealer and your beauty routine will be, I mean, flawless. So I, I suggest you head over to mintedcosmetics.com. The code NABP gets you 20% off. And yes, we are running a Memorial Weekend Sale. And with that, let's get back to the show. Okay, folks, it's time for Flashback Friday. As a reminder, this is our segment where we take a look back at an old episode and give you a quick update. KJ, today's a special Flashback Friday. What are we flashing back to? Oh, yes, it is, because I thought it would be super fun to do something new. Rapid fire flashbacks. Woo! <laughs> um, so, you know, this week you and I have been texting back and forth, most, mostly you texting me, all the news <laughs> that's happening um, and updates on so many of our prior episodes. So instead of trying to pick just one, I thought it would be fun if I give you the headline for a bunch of different ones and then we both have, you know, just give our quick. 60 second reactions. All right. So up first, Disney. We spoke about Disney last week. We spoke about how Disney is at war with Ron DeSantis over in Florida. Well, Disney said you played too much. Okay. You played in our (laughs) face. (laughs) And now they have made the decision to pull the plug on a billion dollar office complex that was set to begin construction in Orlando and would have brought 2000 jobs to Florida. And Bob Iger said, nah, you played too much. You played in my face. So they pulled the plug. What's your reaction? I love this headline. I love this for Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I briefly discussed this with my mother, the one and only number one, not another <laughs> business podcast fan. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, come on, Danny, they don't have the money. They, they were never going to be able to build this thing. Like, But I don't care whether it's they didn't have the money or they did and are now pulling it. I love this headline. Go Disney. What do you think? Absolutely. Go Disney. I love that Disney's whole stance throughout this has been don't start none, won't be none. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Ron DeSantis couldn't help himself, um, or as they're calling him over on TikTok, uh the Santa Claus and he truly is playing himself so I'm uh, I'm all for it shout out to Disney for making moves all right time for number two so we spoke about the Writers Guild strike a few weeks ago and I have some strike tea and this is straight from the picket lines okay it's not it's not in the news it's straight from the picket lines so the word on the street is that the studio execs actually are hoping the strike does last up to 100 days because a number of them have signed these big ticket multi-million dollar deals with various creators, but most of these studios are not profitable. Their streaming services are not Mm. profitable. And they all have, you know, and you're a lawyer, I think it's called a force majeure clause Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that essentially says, you know, if there's some act of God, that uh, unprecedented, unpredictable thing that shuts down production, uh, that 
the clause is then or, or the contract is then void. And I guess people are thinking, again, this is the T from the, the picket line. People are starting to think that they actually want this because a, a hundred days would count as a force majeure. And potentially they'd be able to pull the plug on some of those more expensive contracts that they're now having second thoughts about. So what do you think about that? I mean, it does sound like there could be some veracity to it. Like force majeure clauses are a thing. Before the pandemic, people really didn't pay too much attention to them. But then Mm -hmm. everyone was like, oh, shit, a pandemic. Like, that's an act of God. So then everyone (laughs) started paying attention to them. And it is true that employee strikes of a certain duration, I mean, it really does depend on the contract itself. It might be in there. It might not be in there. But if it's in there, yeah, that would release people from their obligations. So this T sounds like it has some legs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just say the plot thickens, right? Because normally you would expect the execs to want the strike to be over sooner. But if they, in fact, are actually wanting it to last, what a turn, what a twist, what a twist. What a twist. First of all, I just love this because it's coming straight from the picket lines. I feel like we are on <laughs> the front lines of journalism. You and I somehow are. are we're doing it. We're doing it uh, with our various sources and such. So that's really what I'm excited about. You know, I think it does have some legs, but I have to imagine. I mean, I'm seeing... If you follow Strike TikTok, Strike Talk, as I do, they are shutting down productions all over L.A. Mm. and New York. These productions cost tons of money. So I can't imagine that the studios would really want to keep, like, you know, biting themselves. What's the word? Biting themselves in the foot? That's not the word. Mm, <laughs> that can't be right. That, that can't be right. Uh, biting uh, the you hand. Bite that- the hand that feeds you. That's not right. Shooting themselves Shoot- in the foot. Yeah, that's exactly there you right. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they cannot want Ooh, to keep shooting that was themselves. Imp- that was, that was yeah, a Danny that was, move. That, that was, was a Danny. Danny that's yeah. true. Usually you're the one who's like, what is that saying? But yes. <laughs> They, I mean, they're shooting themselves in the foot. So may, I think maybe this has some legs, but I have to imagine more of the studio execs are hoping that this strike gets done sooner rather than later. Well, also, because presumably new contracts would be under whatever the new terms of the of the deal that's reached are. And those should ostensibly provide more money to writers. Right. And, right. you know, so, yeah. Interesting. Interesting tea. Very interesting. Okay, on to the next. So Daylight Bank, the gay bank that we covered a few weeks ago. We covered all the scandal, all the drama, all the lies, all the deceit. But at the end of the day, when we finished our episode, they were still running. Well, not anymore. Daylight has officially announced that it is closing its doors. And the CEO said in a blog post published yesterday that he felt like now is the right time to exit this market. And he told customers that their money is safe and will be fully accessible for transfer through through June 30th. What do you think about that? I am totally unsurprised. Um, Fintech is having a hard time right now. And so if you're going to have a bank that has been exposed or a fintech company that has been exposed for deceit amongst, and that's like on top of, you know, other things that were in the lawsuit they were facing, and why would investors go there? You know, unsurprised. You? Same, same reaction. Unsurprised. The thing that I find... I guess most surprising is just how quickly they blew through all the money that they raised. I mean, you have to remember they closed their Series A, I think it was fall last year. That was a $15 million Series A. So in 
I don't know, eight months, yeah. they blew through $15 million. I, whew, I mean, you're in fintech. Maybe, maybe it costs a million dollars a month to run a, <laughs> to run a I mean, a tech stack is expensive. So depending on how their stack is built in order to like process their transactions, it, that can be expensive. But, but also I think this dude's having lavish parties and yeah, it, it, it didn't sound like they were necessarily employing, uh, principles of frugality (laughs) (laughs) agreed well r.i.p daylight bank let's move on to twitter now twitter recently announced that they are bringing on a new ceo proving once again that executives everywhere are listening to not another business podcast (laughs) uh, because we did say in our Twitter episode that Musk was essentially running the company into the ground so he has brought in a new CEO um, basically admitting that he needs help now this woman's name is Linda Yaccarino which is fun to say she is the former head of global advertising for NBC Universal and essentially what all the media and the news articles are saying is one this represents a pretty clear about face for Musk because as we all recall when he took over Twitter he said he wanted advertising to be less important as Mm -hmm. a revenue stream and wanted to basically bet the house on Twitter blue the subscription service obviously that has been a complete dud and now they don't have revenue so he has brought in an ad exec to try and get back some of the ad money that's the first thing the media is saying and then the second thing I've been seeing a lot of articles on is about the so-called glass cliff and essentially saying Linda Yaccarino has found herself perched on the glass cliff. This is a term coined for situations where women are more likely to be promoted into top jobs at organizations in crisis. This makes women leaders appear less likely to succeed because they are drafted when times are toughest. So those are the articles that I'm seeing the most on as it relates to this new CEO. What are your thoughts? I think I'm a little cynical about all of this. you know, Musk posted that tweet that was like, should I be CEO or should I step down? And the response was overwhelmingly, you should step down. So ostensibly, he's like holding himself to this commitment he made, right? Like, I'll do whatever the poll says. And I think he put in someone who is obsessed with him. There was an interview that she she interviewed him at some conference. I can't remember. And she's just fawning all over him. And so... I, you know, while I would love this to be an admission that Musk's strategies weren't working and in fact, like, you know, we need he needs to go in a different direction. I don't think that's what this is. I think this is a way for him to, um, you know, follow through on this on this promise he made via Twitter, via tweet, because he's different um, <laughs> while not actually putting in someone who's going to make a big difference. Um but why don't you think she's going to make a big difference? Oh, because she's like... Because she's obsessed with him. Yeah, yeah, she's obsessed yeah, with him. I she's think. just going to do whatever his stupid butt is doing. <laughs> just like, I'm so not into Musk. And, uh, and then like the DeSantis announcement on Twitter. Just, yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm cynical about all these headlines. What about you? Um, You know, I do think the glass cliff thing is very real. I think there are, you can point to a number of examples where women have been brought in to the CEO spot at a company where they've never had a woman CEO. And often it is when a turnaround is necessary. Um, Harvard Business Review has actually, you know, done a number of studies and, and articles on this. So I think the glass cliff is real. That said, yes, Linda Yaccarino is very, you know, buddy, buddy with Elon Musk. 
And so maybe she's not going to even try to change that much of what he's doing. But I don't know. I still think it is pretty much an admission that what he set out to do is not working and Mm -hmm. that he is a terrible leader and that someone has to be the grown up at the table. So whether it ends up being her or if she's sort of quickly in and quickly out and it ends up being someone else. I mean, I do think it's pretty clear that that company needs help. And this is maybe the first step in getting them the help they need. I mean, we've also seen so many people launch Twitter competitors in the last couple of months. Um, Most of them are still in beta. So I have not been able to use any of them. But there's Blue Sky. Uh, Facebook just announced that they've got a competitor that's going to be under the Instagram handle that's essentially going to be a new Mm -hmm. Twitter. There's Mastodon. There's some other one that I actually did sign up for the waitlist for. I I don't even remember the name of. (laughs) Um, So they've got a lot of people on their heels. And I mean, yeah, it seems pretty clear to me they're aware that they got to do something different. But time will tell. Okay, our final headline is about return to the office. Because, and I will just point out, the world is all a flutter over this topic, and so are our listeners. This remains our most listened to episode. We see mm-hmm. the listens climb up every single week. So people are really trying to understand what's going on here and, and, and trying to absorb as much information as they can about what's going on with return to office and the end of remote work. So I've seen a lot of articles recently just sort of updating the state of things. Here are a few stats. According to Fortune, employees being forced back into the office see this as a 2 to 3% pay cut given the new expenses they're enduring. And then Owl Labs stu- did a study actually breaking down these numbers even further. They found that between inflation and gas prices, it's actually become much more expensive to work in an office. They are claiming it costs roughly $860 for most employees to commute to work versus staying home, which they're saying is more like $400 or so dollars for things like utilities, office supplies, et cetera. Um, so twice as much, literally twice as much to go into the office versus staying and working home. Um, and then you have other CEOs. I don't know if you saw this, Airbnb's Brian Chesky actually called out executives for forcing people to return mm-hmm. to office. He said recently in the Decoder podcast, I guarantee you that many of these CEOs who are calling people back to the office in New York City are going away to the Hamptons for the summer or going to Europe in August. So basically saying you guys are hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Time Magazine recently released an article titled Return to Office is Losing. So in the article, they cite the fact that the share of people in the office full time dropped to 42 percent in Q2 of 2023, which was down from 49 percent in Q1. Um, They also cited that the share of offices with hybrid work arrangements hit 30 percent in Q2 versus 20 percent in Q1. So even though there seem to be a lot of executives trying to force people back into the office full time, doesn't look like it's going well. So that's some of the headlines. Oh, one more headline on this is that Amazon workers are staging a walkout um, in order to protest being forced back into the office full time. Saw that headline this morning. So what are your thoughts? I think the the main point we made in our episode is just further highlighted. You need to be able to justify why you're asking people back. Otherwise, it just will not work. It's been years of a new normal. It's been years of 
people understanding they don't need to be back in the office. They are reaping the benefits of of or are experiencing lower costs of commuting. So if you're going to force people back, you need to have a real justification. Otherwise, it just it won't work. You know, you can't pretend like the years we've had fully remote didn't occur. Yeah. Um. So that that's my reaction. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I think I just think executives are going to see this bite them in the ass. I think a lot of executives feel like they can get away with it right now because the economy's in a bit mm-hmm. of trouble. Inflation's so high. People want their jobs. No one wants to be on the job market. But the economy ebbs and flows, right? It's a pendulum. So it's not always going to look the way it looks right now. And as soon as people have more choice, more freedom, and the job market opens back up, they're going to leave you if they feel like you are forcing them into a situation that you can't justify. You can't justify. You know it's costing them more money. You know it's taking them away from their families. You know that it's putting undue stress on them. You're doing it anyway without any real reasons that you can point to. And as soon as people have more choice, they're going to make that choice. So I I think that's what we're seeing play out. And shout out to um, Brian Chesky over at Airbnb for calling out... All the all the finance bros and tech bros who aren't, you know, aren't even f- taking their own medicine. You say you want everyone back in the office, but you're not in the office. So, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how this continues to play out. And that's our final headline. What did you think of that? Um, I'm proud of myself. I was really stressed about having to provide answers in under 60 seconds, but I think if someone had timed me that uh, I I met the objective. So I'm pretty pleased with myself and I love the segment. What do you think? Yeah, loved it. Okay, we are on to our main topic. Hit us with the facts, KJ. How did Peloton get its start and how did it get to where it is today? All right. So Peloton was founded in 2012 by a group of ex-employees of a company called IAC. And if you're like me, you may not be familiar with IAC, but you've certainly heard of a number of its brands. So this is a holding company that owns Angie, Investopedia, People Magazine, Care.com, and over 100 other brands. So it's a big, big, big company. And in 2012, five ex-employees went to found Peloton. And I can just tell you, five sounds ridiculous to me, but (laughs) 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 it sounds like way too many co-founders. But uh, five former executives, including CEO John Foley, decide to leave the company and start Peloton. Now, according to Foley, the impetus behind the company was his desire to have instructor-led workouts at home, recognizing Mm -hmm. that he got a much better workout that way, but couldn't always make the timing work to be on site for those classes. So in 2012, they went to ra- went on to raise a modest $3.5 million in funding to start working on a prototype. Now, I will just pause here and note, <laughs> just for funsies, that Minted <laughs> had already done over a million dollars in revenue before someone agreed to invest $3 million into our company. Meanwhile, Foley and his friends just... Uh, walked up and got $3 million with a, an idea of a bicycle on a paper. But you know what? <clears throat> That's neither. At least it went there. somewhere and it wasn't Juicero. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. It wasn't Juicero. They didn't just like burn the money and, and, and run. So um, that's 2012. 
Now, in 2013, about a year later, they were able to produce a prototype. It was not quite ready at that point for consumers, but it was good enough to launch a Kickstarter campaign. And that campaign brought in another $300,000. So in 2014, again, now we're two years out from when they founded the company, Peloton raised a $10 million Series B and finally started selling to consumers. I mean, now that is pretty incredible. All, getting to a Series B without having really started selling. Yeah, yeah. It just goes to show how different venture capital works. With, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> depending, yeah. depending on who you are. but Who you are or when it was maybe is also a timing thing a little bit. 2014, fro- was that the frothy market? Can't yeah, really things remember. were, I mean, things were pretty frothy yeah. in 2014, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, who you are and, and your timing definitely matters. Um, but according to Business Insider, pretty quickly after launching, Peloton developed a cult following. People became very, very obsessed with the brand's instructors um, Mm. to the point where despite spending $2,000 to have a bike in their homes, NYC customers would routinely make the trek down to Chelsea just for the chance to ride in person alongside their favorite instructors. Um, And, you know, I think you and I, we've, we've spoken about some of our favorite instructors. These guys are really, really popular. You know, many of them boast hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. Some of them have inked deals with Adidas and Puma. Um, They've been featured on shows like Dancing with the Stars. So, you know, these guys have become quite popular in their own right, but via the Peloton brand. Yeah, I actually looked up all their, uh, a few of my favorite instructors, I looked up their Instagram followings Mm -hmm. um, last night. How many, I was actually surprised, it was a little bit lower than what I thought. How many followers do you think Cody Rigsby has on Instagram? He doesn't Um, really have much of a TikTok following. Yeah, I would say maybe 120,000. Oh, okay, interesting. So, no, he has way more than that. He has 1.3 million. Oh, my God, I did not know it was over a million. Oh, that's, that's big. By far, he had, he had the highest number of followers based on the, you know, number of number of instructors that I looked up um Allie Love okay yes Allie she's she's another one of my faves um I'm gonna guess 200,000 300,000 oh my god wow yeah Alex Toussaint was right around I want to say between 200 and 300,000 Okay. I expected him to have, is that right? He had lower. He definitely had lower. For mm-hmm, sure, mm-hmm. $1.3 million for Cody and 900000 for Allie. And then Alex was a bit lower. Um, yeah. Wow. They're, they're popular folks. They uh, are. Well, and, and that goes to show this, this definitely helped grow the Peloton brand. Now, in the years that followed after their launch in 2014, Peloton would expand its offering beyond bikes. The first new offering was a $4,000 treadmill, which I I mean, I don't know if any of you Treadmills have, are expensive. Treadmills are expensive, but you can find a pretty decent treadmill for like $1,500. $4,000 is a lot. It's a lot of money for a treadmill. Right. Um, and they also then uh, expanded their range of exercise classes in their app. So they started introducing yoga, strength training, cardio, Pilates, and other types of exercise in the app. Now, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? 
So all in all, you know, in terms of their following and in terms of their instructor popularity, things are looking pretty good. Despite that, when Peloton went public in 2019, which again is five years after they started selling bikes in 2014, the public offering did not go very well. And and that's for Mm -hmm. a few reasons. First, they were nowhere near profitable. Um, They were bleeding money thanks to really, really big marketing spend. Um, And then on top of that, in 2019, during the holidays, they released an mm-hmm. ad that I know I know you remember. I'm sure many of our mm-hmm. listeners remember. And this ad got a lot of backlash. Okay, so the ad featured a woman whose husband gifts her a Peloton bike for Christmas, which uh, just many, many people took issue just with that alone. Like, <laughs> it's Christmas, and basically what you're telling me is, bitch, go get some exercise. <laughs> <laughs> terrible terrible christmas gift okay so many people felt like that was extremely sexist and playing into outdated standards of beauty um and public outrage literally sent their stock plunging nine percent during the holidays which wiped out 940 million dollars in market value in a single day i think ryan reynolds tequila brand did like a clapback video or a a play on this Mm -hmm, basically mm -hmm. being like you don't have to be trapped on your on your bike. Just come drink tequila with me type yeah. thing. And I remember that was like a brilliant response. Yeah. Oh, just what a what a turn. I mean, like it sounds like they figured something out between 2014 and 2019 to be able to go public. Yes. You know, and it's not it's not totally unheard of that some companies go public and it turns out to be a little bit of a bust, you know, but they can mm-hmm. usually recover. Mm-hmm. But then it sounds like this holiday ad did not help in that recovery yeah i read an article saying that their ipo in 2019 was the third worst opening day (laughs) like market slide for all of 2019 um and and yeah this ad did not help i remember it's so funny that we all collectively had the same sort of reaction to the ad because i remember when i saw it it was actually pretty visceral my reaction like what? That's what you got this woman for Christmas? <laughs> An exercise bike? Um, just a word to the wise to all our listeners. Do not gift people exercise machines. Okay. For Christmas. Okay. You um, could gift me one. Mm, you could gift me one. I'll, someone, I'll take it. It's someone, a big purchase. It's a big purchase. And if someone explicitly asks for correct, it, fine. Correct. It has but, to be requested. It can't be It can't be like I was expecting a luxury bag and you gave me a bike. Exactly. Or or something like that. I'm not actually big into bags. But yeah, it, it, it can't be that you. I was expecting something for funsies and mm-hmm. then you gave me something where I have to sweat. Exactly. Okay. Hard. So I just remember <laughs> I my reaction was pretty visceral. And then finding out via social media that everyone's reaction was <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the same. Um, so, yeah, they ended 2019 a bit beleaguered. But then in 2020, of course, the pandemic hits. And suddenly everyone's trapped inside. Gyms are closed. We still want to work out. So what do we do? We purchase a Peloton. And mm-hmm. you and I were among the thousands of people who mm-hmm. made that decision. So by May 2020, Peloton reported a 66% increase in sales and a 94% increase in subscribers. By September of that year, 
Peloton had had its first profitable quarter with sales spiking 172% since the same quarter the year prior and revenue rising to $607 million. I mean, who knew a pandemic could be so beneficial for some? (laughs) Force majeure. (laughs) Pretty sure I'm not using that correctly. That is not correct, but, but, you know, the spirit, I get it. (laughs) Um, Yes, so they had a big, big, big year. Um, Obviously, people being stuck inside without access to gyms helped Peloton a lot. That said... You know, there was a flip side to every coin. The flip side here was it quickly became clear that Peloton's supply chain could not keep up with this increased demand. So delivery times for new equipment became longer and longer, and even Peloton's diehard fans began expressing frustration. And I recall, I don't know how long it took for your bike to to arrive, but I recall we ordered, I believe in August 2020, we didn't get the bike till about mid-January 2021. So pretty long wait time for us. Do you remember what it was like for you? Um, I also remember waiting months. I think I waited all summer of, I remember you guys got yours before us. I think, I think so. I think we purchased ours before yours, but yours arrived before. Is that possible? When, wait, when did you get yours? No. You got the bike in January 2021. Yeah, January 2021. Mm. I don't think ours arrived. You're right. Yours. You're right. You're right. Ours, we got ours in September 2020. And I'm pretty sure I'd waited like all summer. Ours yeah. arrived in September 2020. And I'm pretty sure I'd been waiting all summer. Yeah. And we had actually gotten like a refurbished bike through an empl- a friend's employees like discount. Mm-hmm. Same, same, same. Because I think we used what, whatever discount y'all <laughs> Whatever <got. laughs> we did. Yeah. That was like the, right, right. That was the hot tip was like, yeah. you have, you must have friends. I think I found you a mutual connection when someone at, at LinkedIn, I was like, KJ, I think you know this person, get an employee discount from yes, them. Yes, you're right. <laughs> right. And do you know who I think that person was? I do. It was the former head of marketing, wasn't it? Yes, it was Dara Tresseter, Harvard yeah. class of, I want to say 20, either 2010 or 2009, the CMO of Peloton. You yes. were like, hey girl, I think you know her. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I do know her. So I, did you get her discount? Is that uh, her discount you used? Yes, I surely <laughs> did get her discount. I, I literally emailed her. I was like, hey, girl, I know we haven't spoken since, you know, <laughs> 2008. However, I would like a discount on my Peloton. And she came through. She was like, I got you, KJ. So you know what? The network. <laughs> it's all about the network. <laughs> Can't knock the network. Um, so, yes, uh, the supply chain experienced a lot of issues, just, you know, trying to keep up with demand. They also started experiencing some quality control issues. So customers began experiencing issues with their bikes where pedals snapped off mid-ride. <laughs> which <laughs> so that is so bad. I actually, I have this fear. This is a fear of mine whenever I'm on right. the Peloton and I'm doing the moves where you have to stand and ride. Yeah. I often think about like, what if my foot yeah. slips out or you know, or the pedal breaks? Like that would be extremely painful. You could like break an ankle. Well, especially <laughs> if you're in the shoe that's like clipped into yes. the pedal, you know? Yes. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it is, yes, it is. It's, that is literally one of my fears. So anyway. 
after getting 120 reports of bikes breaking and 16 reports of customers getting injured, the company issued a recall affecting 30,000 bikes. Again, this was still in 2020. Um, but despite the setbacks, it was still a massive growth year. And by early 2021, Peloton reported its first billion dollar quarter. So yes, 2020 was a huge year for them. Huge year. Right. So we go from terrible ad at the end of 2019 mm-hmm. to the start of 2021. There's some some bumps. It's not a totally smooth year, but it, the punchline is people were stuck at home in a pandemic and Peloton greatly benefited from that. That's exactly right. But then, as the saying goes, what comes up must come down. (laughs) Um, And for Peloton, it started to come down a lot. So first, now we're in the year of 2021. First, Peloton had a terrible terrible fatal Mm -hmm. accident with a child so a child was fatally injured in an accident with the peloton treadmill not the bike and they completely flubbed the response so originally when regulators and media were calling for the bikes to be not the bikes i'm sorry the treadmills to be recalled the uh, ceo foley dragged his feet calling the claims about the treadmill's danger inaccurate and misleading However, less than two months later, it was recalled because it was dangerous and did not have the safety features that it needed to prevent the sort of accident that happened where, you know, that child uh, was killed. Yeah, I remember this and was just I I remember thinking just how unfortunate this situation was. Um, I mean, obviously, for the loss of the child and, and there were. There were other children who had been injured. There were pets who had been injured, right? There definitely Mm -hmm. were missing safety features. And this was horrible for Peloton, right? Because the tread was still relatively new. They were really pushing it hard as a way to um, expand their addressable market, essentially, right? Because not everyone is into the bike, right? Some people just want to run or do something else. And this was difficult to deal with. Yeah extremely extremely difficult um so that happened you know early 2021 then throughout 2021 the world started opening back up and demand for the peloton really started to dip so by november the stock dipped 34 percent um and this was also sort of wrapped in with a slew of bad pr including i don't know if you remember this but did you watch the sex in the city oh, i absolutely okay. did and i absolutely well i didn't watch the whole spinoff because part of it was just less fun to watch than the original and it was a little yeah. sad but i definitely saw this episode so go yes. ahead yes, yes. explain so- it, and I concur, it was way less fun than, than the original. But yes, in the opening episode, one of the main biggest characters, I won't mm-hmm. spoil it, but one of the biggest characters. No, you can spoil it. What? What if someone it's, hasn't seen it? It's been I, I, I'm not gonna years. I'm not going to say gonna, it. I'm going to say no, it. I no, don't care. I won't let you. I won't what? Let you. Don't do it. The point is, one of the <sighs> biggest characters dies, okay? <laughs> because... This person is riding a Peloton bike and essentially has a heart attack, okay? And keels over and <laughs> dies. So <laughs> just about the worst PR for your brand you can possibly I don't remember. Get. Did Peloton know that that's what the scene was going to be? Yeah. Peloton I mean, what knew. a bad decision. Yeah. And I'll say, like, they, 
without spoiling it, fine. Like they used a real instructor, yes. right? They used um, Jess King, I think yeah. was the, so they were, it, it was a very, it was meant to be Peloton. It wasn't yes. like a brand imitating Peloton or a no. brand like Peloton. It was no, meant no, no. to be, you get on this Peloton bike and you die. And <laughs> and someone approved this. Approved someone wrote it. it into the script. Crazy. And it must have been in their eyes a great opportunity for product placement, which I don't understand. Okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't get that. So the stock is down. You've got folks dying on on screen because of the Peloton. <laughs> Uh, uh, black employees around this time also started speaking out about their pay relative to um, the industry saying that, you know, they weren't at parity. And also the CEO threw apparently an extremely lavish holiday party Mm. while the stock was taking. So all of this sort of wrapped up in this big PR cloud towards the end of 2021. But I think the real sort of nail in the coffin, well, I won't call it a coffin because they're obviously still alive. Um, but what really hurt Peloton in 2021 coming into 2022 was that they had spent tons of money ramping up bike production to meet pandemic level demand, only to be left with warehouses of excess bikes by the end of 2021. So things were looking very lopsided. And again, it's just this roller coaster, right? 2019, the IPO, not doing well, terrible holiday ad. 2020, everyone's inside, wants the bikes. 2021, they finally have the bikes, but no one wants them anymore. <laughs> Real roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, and this reminds me of our Stitch Fix episode where we talked about how they had opened up this massive facility um, to be able to house more inventory. And then the pandemic hit, and now they just don't have any demand for this massive you know Mm -hmm. for the increased inventory and now they're stuck with this cost and that is how you know what i understand happened to peloton they kind of started producing bikes as if it was going to be a pandemic forever yeah that didn't make sense and by the way a lot of companies got caught up in that it's not just peloton a lot of companies experienced you know increased demand during the pandemic that then waned once the world sort of started to right size and we're left with a lot of inventory. So that was happening for them. And in the midst of all of that, Foley did step down in February of 2022 and, you know, and took responsibility for the company's missteps. During the same time, they laid off 2,800 employees, um, though they were sh- they were sure to note that all of the laid off employees would be given a free year's subscription <laughs> to the platform, al- along with severance. So, you know, mm. I mean, that's not bad. That's not bad. Maintain your health bad. and wellness yeah. while unemployed. I, mean, I feel like, you know, they, they didn't have to do that, right? So right. Um, I, I thought that was, I guess, an, a nice little send off. Now, after February, after Foley steps down, after they do these layoffs, the rest of 2022 continued to be a bit of a gut punch. Um, they announced two more rounds of layoffs and saw multiple top executives step down, including my homegirl, Dara Tresseter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm using homegirl lightly, but I do appreciate that discount. And uh, <laughs> and they, re- they really took a beating in the financial press for their beleaguered stock. So they ended last year still not looking great. Okay. And so that brings us to 2023 this year. Mm-hmm. What is happening now? Well, so far... I would say it hasn't been much better in terms of revenue and earnings. However, 
Yesterday, the CEO announced a new strategy. He's said that he wants to shift Peloton from focusing on hardware and connected fitness to focusing on the app. And, you know, just so I don't know that we mentioned this, but you do not have to have their bike or their treadmill um, in order to subscribe to the app. You can just use that. I actually know plenty of people who do just use the app for your, you know, your daily fitness needs. Um, He also is relaunching a new marketing campaign. Mm. are relaunching Peloton with a new marketing campaign that focuses on being able to get high quality workouts anywhere from your phone. Um, And in this campaign, they're also trying to get viewers to shift their mindset on who Peloton is for. So, Mm. you know, back in that terrible Christmas ad in 2019, it very much felt like it was clear they were going after a very affluent Mm -hmm. um, customer who was very focused on, you know, being the fittest and the skinniest. Because mind you, that was the other thing that people had took issue with with the ad. This woman was very skinny. And (laughs) like it just seemed very weird that she would be so obsessed about like hopping up on this bike every single morning. Anyway. Um, so now that what the CEO has said is he wants to sort of like put that image of who Peloton is for to the side and instead rebrand Peloton as a company for anyone, regardless of age, fitness level, income, and whether or not they can shell out thousands of dollars for a pricey piece of equipment. So along with that strategy, they've introduced a tier, they're introducing a tiered app strategy um, that includes an unlimited free membership option and then two other levels, a level for $12.99 and a level for $24 um, that will get you additional features depending on which tier that you're in. So again, all of this is with the goal of, you know, rebranding Peloton. It's not just about the $2,000 bike and the $4,000 treadmill. It's about the app. It's about fitness at any age, any level. It's about being inclusive for everybody. Um, And that's what their focus is as of now. Yeah. And I think the one piece I'll add is in, um, I read that in the recent earnings call, one of the things the CEO said is they're not abandoning the hardware business. They're really, with this campaign, just trying to drive awareness of the app because market research that they performed shows that people didn't know it existed, that you could have just the app. People just had such a strong association between Peloton and the expensive hardware, and that's what they're trying to chip away at. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much it for the facts. We have caught up. We've gone over the history. We've ridden the roller coaster. So <laughs> let's uh, move on to speculation. Now, the first question I have, really quite just personally for me and you, is are we still using our Pelotons, Danny? So I use it occasionally. I definitely am one of these people who um, I used it quite a lot in the pandemic. I mean, I was super pregnant and I like needed... Uh, well, I signed up for the Peloton when I was super pregnant and I needed to be able to move, right, for mm-hmm. my own, like, sanity. And mm-hmm. so I started doing their dance cardio classes, right? And then I used it a lot post-childbirth. Um, but I am a class, in-person class kind of girly. So I am back in my Orange Theory classes. I use my Peloton strength workouts whenever mm-hmm. I, like, can't make it to an Orange Theory. So actually, a couple of weeks ago for Mother's Day, I was away. I did a Peloton workout. So Mm -hmm. I'm using my Peloton subscription. I do pay for the full subscription, but I definitely am not on the bike as much as I used to be. What about you? Yeah. So you know what? I use the app four or five times a week. I think their content, honestly, 
is unparalleled. And I've used a lot of fitness content um, apps and sites and things. I've used the Nike training app. I've used Beachbody On Demand. I've used um, YouTube videos. I've used Obey Fitness. Um, I've tried it all. And all of those are, are perfectly fine. They're good. But I think Peloton is better. I genuinely do. So <clears throat> right now, I'm really, really into strength training and yoga. So that's how I spend most of my time, four or five days a week, you know, fire up the app and do one of those classes. But um, who is your go-to strength training coach? My go-to is Rebecca Kennedy. Oh, me too. Did I influence oh, you? No, did I you influence didn't. you to go no, with her? Oh, you okay. did not. That was completely independent. That's so funny that we both love the same person. Of course we do. Yeah, she's my go-to um, for strength. My go-to for yoga is Kristen Green and Anna Greenberg. I think those are their names. Um, those are my go-to for yoga. But anyway, the point is, I just think their content is unparalleled. They just mm-hmm. have, and there's so much of it. You just will never mm-hmm. have to repeat. Sometimes I will bookmark a thing if I really love it and do it again, but you never have to. Um, and that's also really nice. And and this actually, I, now I was talking about this with Kadar. I think one of the reasons that their content is so much better is because they pay for the rights to the music. So mm. you can listen to actual jams, the playlist. And mm-hmm. that's part of the reason I think you and I end up picking our same favorite instructors because right. we like we their like playlist. We like the same music. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, they, but they're playing actual jams. Now, if you have done Beachbody On Demand or if you have done some of these other services, mm. they are not paying for the rights to popular music. So they're just hitting you with the music, right? The elevator <laughs> music. <laughs> <laughs> and I personally is that a term yes is that a term muzak oh my god i love it it's so true <laughs> having done insanity by beachbody like yes. that was the workout i definitely did um, yes. in college and after yeah it is it is muzak that is it, the perfect way oh my it god it is muzak <laughs> and it makes a difference okay if you can be doing your little workout to beyonce mm-hmm. and in sync and Christina Aguilera and Megan the Stallion and Cardi B, it makes a difference, okay? I am much more likely to keep returning when I am liking the music I'm hearing while I'm working out. And they pay for the rights. And by the way, that is not cheap, okay? It is no, not cheap not. to pay for all of these music rights. And most of these other companies aren't willing to do it. So I think that their content is unparalleled. And so I do return to the app every, you know, every every single week. What I don't do right now is get on the bike. I'm not getting okay. on the bike. So it is so interesting you bring up the point about music. Um, And one of the reasons, because one of the reasons I have not given up the bike, even though I don't get on it that often, honest, this is such a silly reason, um, but there is one particular 30-minute ride, a Cody Rigsby ride. Mm -hmm. It ends in a climb to where have all the cowboys gone, okay? (laughs) And... (laughs) It is such an enjoyable workout for me. Mm-hmm. I think about it often. Like, okay, if I can't get to Orange Theory, I'm going to do that ride. Mm-hmm. And it puts me in such a good headspace that I won't give up the bike because I'm like, I might want that workout one day. Like, yeah. I might want to do it. So it, it is really, it's powerful the, the, yeah. how strong the content is. Yeah, 100%. And, and, I, and I don't think that is silly because I'm the same way. I have a couple bookmarked Cody rides mm-hmm. that I know, like... If, even if I don't feel like working out, I know that ride, like the combination of that playlist and whatever jokes he's making that day are, are just magic for me and are going to get me through the workout. And again, I just don't think any other content house or platform is really delivering it in the same way. So yes. And, and oh, and by the way, Kadar rides the bike like four or five times a week. So oh, wow. we, are, we are still very much um, 
in our household Peloton folks. So my next question then sounds like we're, we're still, at least the two of us, we're still using the content. Still you, users. You, mm-hmm. you a bit less so, but you're still using it and you, you don't want to give it up. What do we think about this new strategy? What do you, what do you think? I think it's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the right strategy. No, I really do. Um, and this makes sense given what the new CEO, who's not so new anymore, Barry McCarthy, has said from day one, um, uh, day one of taking on the role. There is a New York Times article from when he was first hired that talks about, um, you know, why he decided to take the job and what he was most um interested in he came out of retirement to take this job I mean granted he was kind of looking to get back in the game but um he said he was a passionate Peloton user Mm -hmm. and when um asked by the New York Times journalist you know why do you think you can fix it he said a couple things one I know subscriptions I know consumer facing businesses I know growth I know founders Mm -hmm. and I certainly know business models and that's true because he had previously worked at um, Netflix and he had previously been the CFO of Spotify and then he said and I know from my experience that product market fit is the hardest thing on the planet to find and once you find it it's almost impossible to screw it up no matter how hard you try and arguably we've tried pretty hard here but the customer love is off the charts the monthly churn is less than one percent and I just think he's right. Yeah. <laughs> like people don't really leave once they start. And yeah. product market fit is really hard to find. So mm-hmm. I-, I think honing in on a strength of Peloton's, which is all of the content on and off the hardware mm-hmm. and under- and recognizing a gap, which is, hmm, people don't actually realize we have this. Yeah. And looking to close that gap, smart. Extremely smart. Extremely smart. I 100% agree with you. It's wild to me that the app isn't more popular than it is, right. particularly, you know, for me right now, as someone who isn't really getting on the bike, but is using the app on a daily basis. And and really, you know, I really do believe it's better than all the other apps out there, especially now that they're introducing these new tiers. Now, I think that's smart. Right. I, I am curious what you're going to be able to get in any given tier I'm really curious to see um, because I will say for me it is really important that I have access to all the things you know right I just I want to feel like at any moment I can do any workout at my fingertips any playlist whatever hopefully the the free tier doesn't mean you have to listen to the music Uh, that would be the worst (laughs) (laughs) oh that would be the worst um so hopefully the free tier still gets you the the good music but the thing is like if they make it too good no one's gonna want to pay so i'm i'm really maybe they'll lock you out like and only let you do like two workouts a week or something that would be smart if it's like um i actually do think that is part of the plan he had mentioned that uh i don't remember where this was maybe it was on the earnings call or maybe it was cited in business wire that right now is there a lower tier i think right now digital only members could theoretically do a ride on a bike that's not a peloton uh, like one a day Mm -hmm. and i think he was suggesting that that would be changed to like three a month for example Oh, um, so definitely I think the idea of like limitations on the number of times you can take certain workouts mm-hmm. would be uh, woven into this tier concept. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Because I think that's how you would drive your free gear, free users to become paid 
paid users if they really like the content and realize like, oh, I can only do this twice a week or whatever it might be. Um, So yeah, I agree with you. I I think this is really smart. And I think most people I know who are Peloton users do really love the experience. So I think Mm -hmm. if you can figure out a way from a marketing perspective, from a pricing perspective to get the experience into more hands, you're going to continue to see people be really loyal. Um, So yeah, I think it's smart. But what do we think about their competitors because I do feel like the at-home fitness sort of subscription boutique class sort of thing is is heating up but what do you think about competitors yeah I mean I think this move that McCarthy is making is one that many in the space are trying to make I think what what we're seeing post-pandemic is that the connected fitness landscape is is hard (laughs) like the cost of that hardware is hard um and uh, like I'll look to Lululemon who made a mm-hmm. big acquisition of Mirror, um, I want to say in 2021 for $500 million. Mm-hmm. Um, now, fun fact, Mirror was founded by Bryn Putnam, uh, who was a Harvard alum and mm-hmm. used to run a boutique fitness studio called Refine Method in New York. There were three locations and I was a loyal customer. I went yes. from 2012, I want to say, to 2000, maybe 18 until I wanted to run more and started going to Orange Theory and Orange Theory was a little cheaper. But I had Bryn as an instructor. She it, it, and Actually, her first studio was in the basement of a Ukrainian church on the Upper East Side. And I went <laughs> and I took class in that Ukrainian church basement, okay? Um, because her class was good. But so she then founded, she then founded Mirror and there was this big acquisition. My sister and I are super obsessed with following the story because Mm -hmm. we feel like we know her, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Lululemon has struggled with that acquisition. Um, now part of it, apparently the customer experience was not as good as Peloton, but I think Mm -hmm. it's also just hard to sell a $3,000 mirror, which is I think what the cost of the base hardware is. So um, the Lululemon CEO made an announcement uh, in late March in their earnings call that, you know, they're not eliminating the hardware, but they are just pushing the Lululemon Studio, so it's called the Lululemon Studio app. Um, And they're trying to get more content into that app. So their move is to partner with other boutique fitness studios that people already know, like Rumble, if that's like the Uh Justin Bieber backed, you know, boxing class and Mm -hmm. Y7, which is like the hip hop yoga class. Like they're partnering with other boutique fitness studios to get content into their app. Mm. Um, And, and so they're doing the same thing that they're essentially pivoting away from this hardware centric model um, and pushing the app. Now, that is very interesting. I did not know that thing about the mirror founder being the refined, refined theory, refinement. Refined method. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, because you took me to that class a couple times. Um, oh my God, I did. Yeah, I forgot. You did. And it was fun. I mean, yeah. I, it was hard. I, I remember there were mm-hmm. multiple moments where you and your sister were still like going at it. And I was like, girl, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sit down. <laughs> But it was fun. Um, But uh, I do remember when Mirror was founded. And because this is, I guess, your homegirl, I won't go as hard as as I did when it was founded. But I remember Amanda and I clowned this company so hard because we did not and still do not understand why anyone would pay for (laughs) (laughs) pay three thousand dollars for a mirror. First of all, I have mirrors. Second of all, 
the fact that you can w do your classes on a mirror as opposed to, I don't know, a TV, which people have been doing for decades. Right. It never made sense to me. It never So I will tell you the story, but uh, but I think you're probably right. And it didn't make sense to most people. So I think the story was that or the, the inspiration for the mirror was that people really loved the mirrors at Refine Method. <laughs> OK, so because I will say Refine Method's. Um, one of its greatest strengths was how focused on form they were. Like mm -hmm. it was not like a class where you had an instructor who was just like, OK, now do 10 jumping jacks and 10 kettlebell squats and and they're not you know they're leaving you alone like they corrected your form mm -hmm. and and so the clients who were there were pretty they wanted that right and mm -hmm. they were staring at themselves in the mirror to make sure they were getting it right mm -hmm. um and and so the story goes that that was the feedback that Bryn was getting is that people were really into the mirrors at some point there were no mirrors and there were mirrors so she's like oh maybe people want to see themselves move and so that mm -hmm. was the idea was you know unless you've got certain light hitting the tv you're not necessarily going to see your reflection mm -hmm. in a mirror you'll always see yourself and and also in theory you could have done personal training on the mirror and the mirror would take your form into account kind of the way that the current Peloton guide does. Mm -hmm. And and then the person could offer you corrections. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the problem is that that concept while appealing, strongly appealing to some is not something many people think about. <laughs> and when you're trying to, you know, sell a, a product to a massive market, as opposed to just getting 16 people into a room, like you need an idea that's appealing to many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in any case, I mean, I think you're right that Lululemon also trying to pivot to really focus more on the content in the studio versus the hardware is an indicator that the connected fitness market is is difficult. It's difficult mm -hmm. when these pieces of equipment are so expensive to really scale that in a way that allows you to see continued growth. Um, so I, I think that's right. And, you know, I will say for the other competitors, as I've mentioned, having tried all of them, I think they're good. They're certainly a bit more affordable um, versus the highest price tier for Peloton at 24 a month. But if you compare it to a gym membership, and I actually think, you know, I say this to Kadar, I've taken now strength classes. We're members at the Y. I've taken strength classes at the Y and I've taken yoga classes at the Y. God bless all the instructors there. The Peloton instructors are way better. Okay. Mm. Uh, leaps by leaps and bounds. So <laughs> the reason that I wanted to do it at the Y is because like I felt like you, like maybe it'll be more inspirational doing it in person. Mm -hmm. it, it is not, not for me. It is not more inspirational mm -hmm. doing it in person. It is, it is far better when I've got the playlist I like and I've got a really great instructor that is what makes it more inspirational for me. So yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I personally am kind of betting on Peloton, which, which I guess brings us to our verdict. Like what, what's your, what's your final verdict on these guys? Um, I'm also going to bet on Peloton precisely for the reason that Barry McCarthy thinks it's a company worth fixing. It is a great product and that's hard to, that's hard to lose. You know, people love it. So I, I think that this is the right strategy and I think that they will find their way. What about you? I completely agree. I, I love the content. I love the instructors. I think there's something for everyone. And I do think there's something for people at every fitness level. And so, yeah, I'm betting on Peloton. 
Okay, it's time for Judge and Jury. This week, we are talking about Target. What is going on with Target? They are all over the news, and this is why. Every year, Target releases a Pride collection. As you may or may not know, June is Pride Month. They do this every year. They've been doing it for a decade. They always launch the connection, the collection in uh, you know a few weeks in advance, and that's what they have done. And this year, the collection is generating controversy. Um, videos on social media have emerged showing patrons who are very angry about the collection, who are damaging displays and merchandise, who are threatening employees. And on Wednesday, May 24th, Target released the following statement. For more than a decade, Target has offered an assortment of products aimed at celebrating Pride Month. Since introducing this year's collection, we've experienced threats impacting our team members' sense of safety and well-being while at work. Given these volatile circumstances, we are making adjustments to our plans, including removing items that have been at the center of the most significant confrontational behavior. Our focus now is on moving forward with our continuing commitment to the LGBTQIA community and standing with them as we celebrate Pride Month and throughout the year. Now, Target's spokesperson has said they're pulling products from both in stores and on the website that they haven't confirmed which products. Mm-hmm. Um they have said multiple are under review. The only ones that we seem to know because the designer has spoken out about their products being under review and pulled are ones that are um, by the brand, I'm going to potentially mispronounce this, Abrelin. Um There is a British designer who runs that brand called Eric Carnell, and his designs have come under scrutiny um, because he uses imagery that are satanic all right so like pentagrams horn skulls those those types of things um so i want to focus in on this decision to pull products to revisit mm-hmm. their collection and make mm-hmm. the statement um on wednesday good or bad judgment Ooh, yeah this is this is a complicated one i think my feelings here are a little bit mixed um on the one hand, I think making a pride collection, I think you see members of the LGBT community r- routinely roast corporations for their pride collections and trying to make money off of pride and just how commercialized the whole thing has become. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think a lot of people feel like just even creating these collections in the first place is a little bit cringe because obviously this is a play to make money as well as build awareness, but, but, but make money when what we're supposed to be doing is celebrating the LGBT community and, and acknowledging the history and the battles and the fights and the struggles to get to a place where they are more accepted in America. And by the way, their rights are being pulled away left and right. So along with celebrating, it's a moment to stand up and be vocal um, and in support of this community. And so when you take that framing and instead put it on to, you know, rainbow colored napkins and plates and boxers or whatever, it can feel like it cheapens it a bit. Um, so from that perspective, if I think about it in that vein, I can see it being good judgment to pull these products because one, yes, you have the safety issue, but you also have the like, was this really in good taste to begin with issue? Um, 
So if I'm thinking about it from that vein, I can say, you know, maybe maybe this is good judgment. But then another part of me thinks like, well, is this just you sort of bowing to the the homophobes and the bigots and um, essentially not standing up for the LGBT community in this moment when you have the opportunity to do it. I mean, obviously you care about the safety of your employees, but if you as a corporation want to stand up against this, you could put extra security guards around the around the LGBT displays, right? You've, you've got the money to do that. Um, certainly employees aren't being hurt from the products being shown online. So that also feels like an interesting choice if this is really about employee safety. So I... I I guess I feel a little bit mixed. I I don't think I'm prepared to call it good, straight up good judgment. I think I can understand it. And I think generally a lot of these corporations just need to rethink how they engage with Pride Month altogether. I mean, I think it would probably go farther if Target just said for the month of June, we donate X percentage to these LGBT communities. That is how we celebrate pride. That is how we support the LGBT community instead of making rainbow colored plates. So I think this is a moment where they could just really rethink how they want to be involved. But yeah, I'm not prepared to call this good judgment. That that That's my thought. What about you? I would call this bad judgment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, not for any super unique reason. I think many of the, of the reasons were, are ones you have you have already stated um you know I I actually hadn't thought about the the very problem of these collections I mean I think one thing maybe you didn't say that makes me a little bit more okay is that it is featuring LGBTQ designers you Mm -hmm. know who maybe Mm -hmm. don't otherwise get to um have their products in front of a a mass audience Mm -hmm. so um you know I think that's one positive of these types of collections Mm -hmm. You know, they're not pulling the whole collection, though, right? So, like, this particular decision to now review ones that are particular controversial, particularly controversial, like, no, they're they're not actually that controversial. So, and why are we giving credence to this, to that position? Yeah. Um, I mean, so the designer who's products are under review and are look like they're going to get pulled he said it's difficult because on the one hand I'm obviously completely against it I think that they should stand by their principles if you're going to have a pride range centered around and created by LGBTQ people then you need to stick that out Mm-hmm. However, if I were working as a retail employee at a Target store in an open carry state, I wouldn't feel safe. So I do not under so I do understand their thought process on pulling some of the items, justified or not, the safety of their employees has to be paramount. That is a view that you just shared, that he shared. Mm-hmm. I agree, but I also agree with the point you made, then then get some more protection for those stores, mm-hmm. right? Then you have footage of people go ahead and pursue some legal action right bring the footage maybe they're doing all this but they're not saying that they're instead just talking about pulling things I don't think I think you're basically saying that these tactics are effective um you know and you're responding to them and giving them power Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I just I think you need to stand by the initial position Mm -hmm. um that you're supporting this community and um, if if you feel like there's a safety issue, then I mean, this isn't actually going to make any of these employees 
more safe, not directly, you know, like people can mm-hmm. still be pissed about the collections that you, the products that you leave in the collection. Right. right. So take measures that will actually immediately present physical safety, right? Like physical safety barriers and otherwise stand by the initial decision. The waffling, I think, is just awful. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week. As always, we hope you're loving the show. And if you are, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And be sure to follow us on social. I am Danny underscore D underscore MC on TikTok. And KJ is I am underscore KJ Miller. Thanks, everyone.